Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and from our website, BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. On today's show, amid trade tensions, cannabis and real estate deals have helped bolster Canadian merger and acquisition activity. We'll explore how BC deals fit into the overall picture. A wide range of innovative disruptive technologies are making payments and transactions easier for businesses. On September 13th, BIV's FinTech panel will have a look at how small and medium-sized businesses can make informed decisions in this new landscape. Tickets and information are available at BIV.com slash events. Up next, we have BIV's weekly tech panel. Apple did it last week. The iPhone maker's market cap crossed the trillion dollar threshold, making Apple the first trillion dollar U.S. company. We're going to talk about that and about Facebook's request for financial information and about Airbnb's value proposition for business travelers. Joining me today is our weekly tech panel. We have Ali Pordad, CEO at Progressa, and Linda Fawkes, founder and CEO at Glue Technology Society. Thank you both for joining me. Hi. Thank you. Let's start with Apple. Ali, there was this question for a while now, which technology company in the U.S. was going to cross this threshold? Is it a surprise that it was Apple and not, say, Amazon? I was a bit surprised. I thought Amazon would get there first. There was a lot of talk this year, early in the year, about Amazon being the first to cross the the trillion dollar uh, threshold. So good for Apple. A little bit scary, I think, as well. But uh, (laughs) it's a sign of the times that we live in. Well, and Amazon could still do it. Oh, and they will. I think it's going to happen sooner than you think. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think this means for Apple, Linda? I think it means they're looking at $2 trillion now. Mm. That's what I think. Um, I and, and it was just a few weeks ago that Amazon looked like they might beat Apple to it. Yeah. With um, Walmart and Google not too far behind. So this will be the year of the trillion-dollar company. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see, you know, in 2030... 40 years from now, how this how these companies rank sort of on the all time list, if you could mm-hmm. sort of go back in time and sort of adjust everything for inflation. Uh, you know, I, I, Apple's done it a really, I think Apple's probably done it the fastest, you have to think, I mean, even if you go back just five, 10 years, they like were in the last decade, yeah, yeah. it all happened yeah. in, in a 10 year period. Yeah. And of course, uh, depending on the company, it's different levels of confidence behind these companies too. But do you think we're sort of seeing this general optimism for technology in American technology companies, Linda? No, I think that the uh, infrastructure that these companies have spent decades building is now coming to fruition. And they're, they've created these scalable enterprises that can now just grow and grow uh, faster, better, cheaper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and and where and where they may have you know where where it's possible they're not at the forefront of some technologies. They have enough cash that they could just acquire companies now that that maybe are. So they yeah. all set themselves up to do to do well, really well. And Apple talking about in the bottom line of the report on services and other products that's right into the TV space. Perhaps Apple's yeah. generally not a producer of TV content, but. You can see they're going after Netflix and Amazon Prime. So that's exactly right. We'll see them branching wherever they need to go to hit the next marker, which might might as well be two trillion. What the heck? Yeah. They've talked about health too. That's another space. And $250 billion in cash, I think is what Apple has. So a lot of room to buy companies, to buy competitors. Yeah. And make mistakes and make mistakes. I mean, what's 1 billion when you have 250? Right. (laughs) And and perhaps a a government in the US that's... uh, 
capable of enticing them back onto American soil for manufacturing, bringing some of that cash back into uh, into America. That'll be interesting to see. Yeah. That's a good point. Okay, I'll keep my eyes open for the $2 trillion mark. <laughs> <laughs> Hard to believe. Let's talk about Facebook for a minute. It suffered a multi-billion dollar loss not that long ago, but in the news this week because they're asking banks for financial data on users to offer them better services. And my big question is, do we trust Facebook with our financial data? Well, personally, no. I don't want all my data centralized around an organization that, while we like to think they're building community, they're in fact amassing a massive amount of data and mining it for their shareholder value, which is fair enough. They're a for-profit company and that's what companies do. But I do not want to see... Uh, extensions of my life uh, embedded in other areas, financial sites, for instance, brought over into Facebook's world at all. I'd like to see big walls separating that. Yeah. And I fully agree. I think that's sort of now reached uh, the point where it might be crossing the line. I think people have their limits. Um, You know, this this is really an interesting one. I mean, with all of the issues that Facebook has gone through in the last year, you would think that this is the last thing they need for PR that they would put out put out there with the media that they're investigating linking people's bank accounts now. It's kind of like, like they had they a business this? plan. Cambridge happened and then they said, okay, that's over. Let's now get back to the business plan without realizing that, hold on, everybody's still kind of reeling. Yeah, maybe we need to slow it down here. Bingo. It seems like a very poor strategic decision for management. You know, this is, this is the, the repercussion of being a public company is sometimes you just you feel the pressure to have to put out new information. And then, you know, the, the stock did move in the right direction. But when you you think about public sentiment that's it's the exact opposite you know the stock might have gone up three dollars but you know uh, 10 billion or 10 million users that are on the platform are now a little bit more antsy about being on it mm-hmm. well and i think that zuckerberg has got this intention obviously he's not going to give up the helm anytime soon but he um he has a vision for his company and i think it's um that's his vision period full stop and they're marching forward on it and i believe that's what we're seeing here is he's just moving forward at the pace and in the direction he wants. Maybe setting setting himself up to uh, take on the presidency and just uh, exit that role. That might be what he's doing. That that would be a pretty big community he'd be in control of, wouldn't it? (laughs) That's a good way of putting it. Uh, A quick final question, uh, Ali. I mean, you're in the fintech space. What would be the goal here if Facebook is just marching down, executing a business plan? They sort of had marketplace, which didn't work out so well. What what product would they come up with that might be valuable to well, users? Yeah, well, I think this this ties right into uh, mining the data from 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 for marketing purposes. So, you know, people's bank account information is rich is full of rich information on on their spending habits and uh, that you don't want shared. Yeah, probably. not necessarily, but you know, there's going to be the odd, the odd person that may say, okay, yes, make my life a little bit better, offer me discounts. I mean, Facebook could take the information and and probably figure out a way to make life good for you, but it's going to be very intrusive. So mm-hmm. you'll have to make that decision. I do like that we're having this conversation. Uh, Facebook is presenting it as, well, your bank does such a terrible job of communicating with you. Just do it all through Messenger and we'll make it easier. Why don't banks just step up and make it easier for people to come over and use their apps and their services? You know, I represent the olds, the older people born roughly before 1964, and they're still coming to terms with banking online mobile apps, payment, you know, so for them, Facebook, I can't imagine financial data is shared in the Facebook space would be at all 
comfortable. So well, banks should step up. And the world's changing. Sometimes you go into a bank and there's no physical human there. It's all technology. It's ATMs. There's not an actual. That's exactly color. right. Locations closing all over the place. Yeah. 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 An interesting space. Okay. Right before we hit record, we were talking a bit about vacation. Have either of you booked vacations with Airbnb? Is that something you look at? Quite timely. I booked a business vacay with Airbnb, oh, you but did. not through Airbnb for work. We were going to Toronto, needed to be in Yorkville, the Hazleton, 650 a night. Obviously, for a nonprofit that Glue is, that's a deal breaker. We stayed across the street through an Airbnb location in the renovated Four Seasons building, beautiful luxury condo, concierge service, check in anytime for 220 bucks a night. Wow. So, um, you know, and I'm not part of that official 15% increase in the Airbnb for work stat because we didn't do it through that side of Airbnb, but incredible savings. We always use Airbnb for travel. Yeah. And you touched on our, our topic. Airbnb has tripled from 2015 to 2016, their number of users for Airbnb for work. And that tripled again, 2016 to 2017 with 700,000 companies now using it as something to offer employees that you travel very frequently, Ali, between mm -hmm. Vancouver and Toronto. Have you ever considered Airbnb for work? Yeah. I mean, we, we consider it. I think we, uh, some tech companies actually have a policy now just to have to use Airbnb because mm -hmm. of the savings. Uh, we don't have that policy at Progressa, but um, I know some companies that do. So uh, definitely a trend going in that direction. Mm -hmm. We had to record a podcast in Toronto and have a bunch of meetings and um, host some cocktail events. And we were able to do that all in our same suite. So that is that would have cost a fortune elsewhere and yeah. been logistically quite challenging. So it was kind of impressive. Mm -hmm. So we know Airbnb disrupts the hotel space. Could it potentially also eat into market share of spaces like WeWork where maybe you're in a different location, you find a co-working space, but instead you have a full condo with maybe multiple rooms. That's think, what you use it for. I think you just came up with a new business idea. Oh, <laughs> new I, I, I should cut this out of the podcast. Girls are thinking alike because I had it in my notes. I think anybody with real estate that they're paying for, any square footage they're paying for, they want to get somebody else to pay for, Airbnb can move there. So yeah, absolutely for workspace. Yeah. Why not? Could be a piece of land just for a, like a big party as exactly. well. Lots of different reasons. Yeah. And for long-term work, too, is one of the things I thought of. If you're spending a couple nights, you maybe find the best deal in a great location. But if you're there for a month or a couple months if, versus yeah. renting a condo, maybe you do it through Airbnb. Well, as companies scale up and scale down, having empty desks, empty, build, empty spaces in their buildings, that could be an interesting opportunity. There you go. There we did right. it. Our business from our tech panel, we have our multi-billion dollar, trillion dollar business. We got, yeah. we got to sign a shareholders agreement. Yeah, we got, we got them ready for their IPO next year. Now they're going to really hit it. Yeah. There you go. Well, as always, Linda, Ali, thank you both for joining the show. Thank you, Haley. Thank you. That's Ali Pordad, CEO at Progressa, and Linda Focus, founder and CEO at Glue Technology Society. Amid trade tensions, cannabis and real estate deals have helped bolster Canadian merger and acquisition activity. M&A deals dipped in the first half of 2018, but have remained robust. More than 1,500 deals valued at $94 billion U.S. dollars were registered according to PwC Canada's half-year update. Joining me with more insight into this is Jim McGuigan, BC Deals Leader at PwC Canada, also the company's leader of their Vancouver Corporate Finance Group. Jim, thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. 
cannabis and real estate, I'm not sure you can get more of a, a sort of a Canadian outlook in terms of what happened in the first half of the year. But tell me a bit, what, what's the overall picture telling you about M&A activity? Yeah, so the overall activity in Canada was 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 down a little bit relative to last year, but still, I think the overall message is, is the activity is overall, it's very, very strong still. It has been for a number of years. As you mentioned, there were about 1,500 deals uh, done in the first half of FY18 for about $93 billion of value. That compared to about 1,700 deals last year, same period, first half of the year, and that was about $103 billion U.S. worth of deal value. So, you know, drop a little bit relative to last year, but still overall, the M&A market is very, very strong. And now is that dip because it was such a strong year last year or are, is there something going on this year that maybe resulted in a slightly slower activity? I don't think there's anything obvious for for the decline. Um, I think I think I'd probably suggest that uh, last year's uh, uh, volume was so high that uh, a little bit of a drop was, is, wasn't uh, a big surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, what we did see is we saw things that changed a little bit would be the ca- uh, Canadian company's uh, investment into the U.S. So that rose by 8% uh, in FY18 relative to the prior year. So a little bit more Canadian uh, companies going into the U.S. market as well as we've also seen uh, uh, an increased activity of Canadian companies going into the international market, particularly into markets like Australia and the U.K. So that would probably be a little bit of a difference between this year and last year. Mm-hmm. The first half, as you know, of 2018 has been marked by escalating trade tensions. There have been rounds of tariffs lobbied against Canadian goods. At what point do issues like trade tensions or tariffs start to impact M&A deal flow? Well, so far, I think it would, it would uh, the, the impact would be mainly felt by the sectors in question. Um, I think in the overall market, for the overall market, I think we've seen very little impact overall. Uh, again, if, unless you're in steel, aluminum, I think those sectors would be more impacted. But I think it's a bit early to uh, to determine really the, the, the true impact at this point in time. Mm-hmm. And I know we talk about this quite a bit on the show. It's a period of a lot of uncertainty. Does that weigh on deals? Or, you know, if you're considering deals that sometimes are many years in it takes many years to come to a conclusion does it take longer for that uncertainty to maybe start to register in terms of activity well we've seen a little bit more uncertainty but it hasn't seemed to have affected the market i think if there's going to be significantly increased uncertainty you'll you'll start to see that impact the market mm-hmm. but so far you know the, the statistics that uh, we've gone over previously suggest that the market overall is strong uh the, the main reasons for that or the, the primary reasons would be really low interest rate uh, low interest rates low cost of capital and abundance of capital in the marketplace if you take a look at publicly traded companies there's a lot of cash on the balance sheet of many larger publicly traded companies and there's a lot of private equity capital sitting on the sidelines waiting to be invested so that hasn't really changed so so while there may be a change in uncertainty the 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 uh, the level of capital available for investment really hasn't changed dramatically at all so Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought up interest rates. They are still very low, but of course, they're starting to rise now here in Canada and south of the border. Is that something that companies are going to be watching and might it affect deals moving forward throughout this year or in the years to come? Well, the Bank of Canada has started to uh, its program of slowly raising interest rates. Um, the overnight lending rates have been, uh, started to rise, um, but they're still low from a historical perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, the credit climate is good overall. I think uh, the message we would suggest is is that uh, we're not seeing companies go uh, have financial difficulties due to the interest rates. I think it would be more related to their own operations. So you know, overall, the credit climate is still good. 
And uh, while there might be a modest increase in, in, in lending rates, uh, we're still seeing very high valuations. So that's really, again, fueling the, uh, the activity in the, that we're seeing in the marketplace for the last number of years. Mm-hmm. And according to the report, 48 deals or so in the cannabis sector here in Canada in the first half of 2018. Is this a bit of a rush ahead of October 17th? Or is this maybe uh, perhaps a level of activity we might see post October 17th, given that this is a, such a new market opening up where there's lots of opportunity? Well, you're right. It is. It's a, it's a relatively new market. Um, there's lots of a capital uh, that's available. I think we would expect there'd be more M&A activity in the second half of the year. You're right. We, we saw 48 deals for about $5.2 billion of, of value in the first half. Uh, that, that, that activity took place mainly in January through March, but uh, we would we would uh, we would expect you know further increase in activity as as the year goes along, especially with the licensed producers making acquisitions and 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 maybe even looking at things like the re- retail space to strengthen their capabilities to to gain access to the markets. Mm-hmm. And is a lot of that happening within Canada? So Canadian companies consolidating, buying smaller Canadian companies, or is there an international angle to that activity? Well, in the longer term, we'll see more, more international activity. In the short run, we've seen a lot of consolidation here with the Canadian companies. I think uh, we have just over uh, or close to 100 public com- publicly traded companies in Canada right now in the cannabis sector. I think the market cap overall is about $30 billion in that sector. So that's, I think that that, that sector's had a lot uh, a lot of opportunity here locally or in, in nationally here uh, in anticipation of October later on this year. Mm-hmm. Healthcare seems to be one sector too that saw a lot of activity up, I think 233% in value, up 48% in volume compared to the last year. Why so much attention in this space? Well, the, the cannabis sector actually falls under the uh, uh, the healthcare sector, ironically. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you have a you have a combination of cannabis companies and and uh, traditional healthcare companies in the sector. The uh, the cannabis sector obviously is is is, is uh, significantly impacted the sector overall. However, you have seen some big deals in the space. So, for example. Uh, uh, Brookfield made a large acquisition in the first half of the year, about a $4.5 billion deal. Aurora bought a company called uh, Med Relief uh, for about $2.1 billion. So there's a, there's just a lot of activity in the, in the sector as a whole, and it's you know, a reflection of perhaps the demographics uh, in, in our nation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. And given you're the BC deals leader, you mentioned Aurora, which has its headquarters in Vancouver. But what else can you tell listeners about sort of the M&A activity that transpired in BC over the first six months of this year? So uh, the, the, the five major sectors where there's been activity, um, again, uh, the, the largest sector by, by quite a long uh, stretch is, is the real estate sector. So there was a very significant deal in that sector uh, where a company called a Pure Industrial REIT was acquired for $3.7 billion. So again, real estate overall has remained active from a transaction point of view. The second largest sector for the first half of the year was in the uh, materials, or uh, which really captures mining. So uh, deals like Galore Creek just sold to Newmont, for example, for about a half a billion dollars. So that, that, that sector has been fairly active. Technology has been an active sector as well. So a company called Avigilon was acquired by Motorola, HyperWallet. There's an announced sale uh, to PayPal. And so the technology sector has been the third most active. And then the uh, the cannabis healthcare sector is, is the next in BC. 
then followed by the consumer discretionary sector, and then all a variety of others. So it's it's been an, an active market for BC. It probably has been representative of the overall market in Canada. And uh, I think, again, we, we continue to see, again, lots of capital, and uh, we see lots of activity forthcoming in the, in the following year as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, keeping that in mind, that forward-looking outlook, of course, we can't predict the future, but what sort of things are you going to be keeping an eye on just that, that might affect activity, be it interest rates or, or other factors? Yeah, I think there would be four things we're looking at. So again, the the, the continuation of uh, high valuations or the valuations of companies overall, given the amount of capital outstanding. I think uh, also the, 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 the amount of supply, the, the supply of acquisition targets would be another factor. Uh, I think really taking a look at, look at the larger companies who are reevaluating their portfolios and taking a look at which operations don't align with their core practices or priorities. And then really the fourth thing would be just a combination of you know, the NAFTA and the, the tariffs, you know, interest rate and, and taxes. So there's a bucket of number of, of, of items in, in there that, that we're also watching and, and that they could impact activity in the, in, the, in the future. We're certainly all watching that <laughs> eagerly to see what happens. Jim, thanks so much for joining the program. Really appreciate your insight. Okay, great. Have a great day. That's Jim McGuigan, BC Deals Leader at PwC Canada. And that's it for our show. Thanks for listening to BIV Today. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at BIV.com, where you can also find more business news. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back tomorrow.